I don't know. I can't pinpoint looking back when that moment was, but I do know there was a moment where I, th- I think I thought to myself, if I continue this, I won't be here anymore. Yeah. There will be a, a moment where I can't come back from it. Well, welcome to this episode of The Overcomers. I am joined with Becca Burt. Now, is it Rebecca or is it just Becca? It is, is it Rebecca. Becky? It is Rebecca. Oh, not Becky. Not Becky. So no. I couldn't call you. No. No. Okay. No. So Becky's out of bounds. Yeah. Okay. So this is Becca Burt. <laughs> and Becca has been at the church for a long time. Actually, Becca, I would I would see Becca in the crowd simply because she you would dye your hair different colors. Yeah. Oh, so yeah. I remember like bright lime green once, mm-hmm. pink. You you loved you some pink. There oh, were multiple I, I love seasons. Pink. Love multiple pink. seasons on pink. So th- there's not a lot of that in, in <laughs> Flower Mountain, Texas. And <laughs> no. so um and and so yeah, I could just say, Oh, the the lady with pink hair. Yeah. Um and then you you shot a testimony video for us. And I remember being so encouraged by your story and um yeah, just blessed to hear all that the Lord had brought you through. And so then I got an email from someone on staff. I think it was Lindsay Inningeberg, mm. and she, who was on season one uh, of Overcomers, and she said, "What do you know about this woman?" And it was pink hair lady. <laughs> and so I said, "Man, I don't, I don't know a lot. I know she has a testimony video that I remember and was moved by, and I see her frequently in the lobby. I think her parents go here. Yada yada yada." And then. We hired you. You're like like big time senior director czar of communications or something. Is that the exact title? I queen. Queen. No, no, I'm just kidding. No, no yeah. czar. No just, czar. Just yeah. queen. Okay. Yeah. And so, Beck, I'm glad you're here. It's been Thank awesome you. to get to know you yeah. and see up close your walk with the Lord and your immense talent the last couple of years as you've been on staff, been a director with us and yeah. create beautiful things. And so yeah. I appreciate that. So I was so eager and hopeful that you would say yes when I asked you to come on because as specifically as I'm doing ministry in and around the next gen, so much of what you've been through and endured seems to be kind of a consistent story for the next generation, specifically of young women. And so I thought, oh man, if Becca could share her story, yeah. uh, maybe we can help some of those young women. And I, and I think it'll land on some young men also, but specifically for young women, I thought, gosh, if I can get Becca's story in front of them, I think the Lord would really would really use it in a profound way. So thanks for being on. Yeah, thank you. Our, our family of origin shapes things. It, it shapes kind of a personality type or a drive or a, a shrinking or driving. So talk a little bit about uh, the environment you grew up in, um, how that kind of formed you and, 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 and get us kind of into the aspects of your life where we're going to begin to talk about kind of achievement, sports yeah. and all of that. Yeah, I grew up in Flower Mound. I born and raised. Born and raised. Uh, so yeah, this has been my home for the bulk of my life. And my parents, uh, they do go to the village. They started attending with me. Um, they have been happily married for quite some time. I I hate to say this, but I can't remember the exact number, but it's 45-ish, okay. I would say, years yeah. of marriage. And so... Um, yeah, they've just been really steady in my life. Um, I'm the youngest of three. I am the baby. Uh, and I love it. Yeah. I love being the youngest child. <laughs> so there much are making sense benefits. to me right now. <laughs> there are benefits for sure. Uh, but we, you know, living in Flower Mountain, it is uh, very much a um, an active 
town. Yeah. Uh, it is primarily up, upper middle class. Uh, we um, people uh, do a lot here, and so I have just grown up playing every sport imaginable. Um, I grew up playing the piano, yeah. so I took piano lessons from a young age. I might have been in a few competitions, uh, which are pretty piano. hardcore. Uh, but I, yeah, I did a lot. I was involved in a youth group. Uh, growing up, we went to a local church in Flower Mound and were really involved in the youth group. Um, but I just, I had a really great childhood. Uh, yeah. There were a lot of things um, that happened in my childhood um, that were really hard. But for the most part, my parents did a really great job of just um, allowing us the freedom uh, and the ability to just do what we what we were excited about and what we wanted to do. I mean, if you think about I had the opportunity to do almost any sport that I yeah. wanted to do. I had the ability to be involved in things at school and that some kids didn't have the opportunity to do. Yeah. And so I think there was just a lot of a lot of love and a lot of care in a place that is yeah, fast paced and can yeah. be really difficult to to maintain an image in. Um, but yeah, my childhood now, was pretty did you, sweet. Did you become a Christian as a little girl? I did. Uh, I became a Christian in Mrs. Waters' second grade Sunday school class. I will never forget. Um, she did the, everyone put your head on the desk. And okay. if you would like to accept Christ, you can raise your hand. I was the last of the siblings to um, accept Christ into my heart. And so um, I did it a little bit because I didn't want to be the last one. I wanted sure. to be like my siblings. Um, and I did it also because I wanted what they, I, I wanted that joy and that yeah. that feeling that they had had. Um, but, you know, looking ahead and there is a little bit of that achievement of, I wanted yeah. to do something that my siblings had done. And so I accepted Christ in my heart at seven. I was baptized uh, that year um, and then just continued on. We kind of did a little bit of a Baptist, non-denominational uh, lifestyle of, of churches. And so I did that kind of the Awana thing, but I also did really the kind of Bible church youth group thing sure. um, growing up. But um, but yeah, it was, um, it was sweet. How, how old were you when, when you and, and maybe your family figured out that you actually were not just a normal little girl athlete, but yeah. you, you actually had some, you had a gear maybe that, <laughs> that other little girls didn't. Uh, I would say three years old. <laughs> and go. let me tell you why. Yeah, tell the story. <laughs> because you you know kids sports, it's yeah. herd ball. Any, any sport that has a ball involved, it is herd ball. Right. Every kid Everybody is running to the towards the ball and then they run with each other and they just kind of chase each other around yep. the field. No and spacing. Then, no, and then there's the kid who sits in the field and picks the flowers. Mm -hmm. I was the one with the ball. Yep. I was the one who had the ball and was leading other people down the field. They were chasing you. They were chasing That's me. Right. And so right. I think my parents figured out at a really young age that I had something. Yeah, you had the juice, uh, the yeah, sauce. Yeah, and I loved it. Yeah. I loved soccer. Out of all the sports that I played, I kept coming back to yeah. soccer. Um, and so, yeah, I think at just a really young age, they said, okay, we're in and we're going to continue to to coach you and continue to put you in these spaces. Okay. So, And that kind of becomes identity forming for you in a way? Yeah. I mean, when you are being told that you're good at something, that makes an impact on you yeah. um, and you want to hear more of it. And I am naturally wired uh, to be an achiever. I am naturally wired to uh, to want positive reinforcement. Um, yeah. I don't, 
I don't typically shy away from encouragement. And so, well, <laughs> like, yeah. you know, there are people who oh, say, yeah. no, 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 I don't, I don't want to hear it. No, I, I like to hear it. Now I've gotten to a point where I'm, okay, I don't really, you sure. can, you can turn the camera away from me or you can turn the spotlight. But at that point in time, I really, uh, I really fed off of it. And so I knew I was good. My parents told me I was good. I yeah. could see it as I got older for myself. And so, yeah, I, I pushed after that. Come on. And was that, was that then overflowing into the other areas of your life? Like were you, now if you're thinking about being your student or um, in a friend group or was that was that kind of desire, like this thing that I have in soccer, I, I'd like my whole life to, were you becoming yeah. kind of consumed to being the best at everything? Yeah, and everything came a little bit more naturally to me. And so I was... I was good in school. I made, you know, I made really good grades. I was mostly, you know, an A student uh, with that occasional B that would drive me nuts. Mm. Um, but I, you know, I was part of those honor societies. I was uh, on the varsity soccer team. You know, I, I just did um, as much as I could do to see that that line item of Come here are all the accolades that you got. You know, when you go to a graduation and you see all the list of achievements, I wanted my list to be longer, yeah. uh, and and it bothered me <laughs> yeah. when it wasn't. And and then there were there was the moment of okay, you know, you just got to get over it; it'll be okay. But there was a part of me that actually I I internalized that and I felt that yeah. um, there was something there that I wanted and I wanted to try to achieve it, whatever whatever means I could get. And and predominantly a good girl like not partying, leaving the boys alone for the most part. <laughs> no, I didn't have time for yeah. boys. <laughs> I, I spent a lot of time out at practice, at soccer practice. I spent a lot of time at, uh, you know, school uh, doing things if I was going to the youth group night on that Wednesday night. Uh, and so I, I really do think my parents honestly were like, you know what? She's fine. She, she's yeah. not going after kid or boys. She's not going after- the golden child. Uh, yeah, you yeah. know, and I, 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 I think I actually talked to my parents recently and said, you know, you never actually gave me a curfew growing up. Yeah. And my mom said, it's because we knew you were too tired to go out <laughs> afterwards. You would stay home. You were yeah. a homebody after that. You know, we didn't have to give you a curfew. Yeah. You gave yourself a curfew <laughs> um, because I had I had stuff to do. I didn't yeah. I didn't have time for anything else. Yeah. So and and so in this achievement is how does the fear of failure or the fear of not measuring up or the how does that start to pop up? early on. I mean, I know how it's going to manifest. I know where we're going in the story, but yeah. how how does it start to first manifest like, oh my gosh, I might fail here or what if what if I'm not as good as maybe this person or how did that first start popping up in your heart, mind, whisper? I think it was uh, anxiety, uh, that kind of that pit in your stomach would start to appear more for me. Uh, and a lot of it started more in high school. I think in middle school, you uh, you don't really have words to put around it. Yeah. You don't know what's happening. You know you might feel a certain way, but you just you you have nothing to to uh, put boundaries around for yeah. it. And so you you sort of ignore it. You you play with your friends and you just move on. Yeah. And I think in high school I started to have more awareness, and I would feel a pit in my stomach if I didn't do something well or if I didn't do something. If I made a mistake, I'll give you an example. When you're on a roller coaster and you you go up to the top and you're about to go over and your stomach it feels like yeah. it's kind of going up into your throat. I would get that, and it would be okay. it would be a paralyzing moment where all of a sudden my body would freeze up. 
And I and I, I couldn't move. I, yeah. If someone was walking towards me, I would not be able to walk towards them. I was okay. kind of stopped. And so there was those moments started to, to manifest more, uh, probably freshman year of high school, where I was feeling anxiety uh, for the first time in a way that I hadn't felt before. Um, and it would happen again when maybe I, I forgot to do something uh, on my homework or I, okay. I got a poor grade on a test or- And poor I, grade being that pesky B? Yeah, or, you know, there's probably some C's in there. Okay, there I, I like to block those out of, yeah, you know. Yeah, C's average. <laughs> can't, can't do that. Uh, but yeah, or, you know, I didn't play well in a game. Yeah. And and I heard it from my coach or from sure. my parents where, you know, they had constructive criticism. They yeah. grew up around sports, so they knew the game better than most parents did. And so that, that feeling would come in more often than not. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, and then how does that, it starts with, kind of the the stomach coming up into the chest and how does it begin to manifest itself physically yeah. in in your in your life as you get into high school and as it grows and as in some ways the stakes start to increase as yeah. grades matter more now because I want to go to college and soccer matters more now because I want to yeah. go to college and um, how does it start to physically manifest itself that anxiety as you move into high school yeah i i have always looked uh, different than the kind of typical athlete that I think society has in their mind. And so I, even though I was good at soccer, I didn't look like a true, and I say a true again, in society's mind of yeah. what a true athlete would look like. Okay. And so I uh, I focused on that and yeah. I, I made that my, my mission to fix it. Okay. Uh, I wanted that to be an achievement of mine. And so uh, what I started to do was I started to purge after meals. Okay. I said, okay, if I'm, uh, I think it's because I am overweight, I'm fat. And yeah. so I, I said, okay, well then I'm going to try not to eat as much. And the only way I can do that is if I, if I go in the bathroom and I throw up my food. Okay. And so that was, it was a, a moment of, of shame and of fear because I had entered into this new space that I wasn't familiar with uh, and I didn't know I could do that. Yeah. Uh, but that was, but then there was this rush afterwards of, okay, but I've managed the situation. I have, I am in control of this now. Uh, and it's, it's that, it's that high you get after, after something else, you know, if you, it's a little bit of this exhilaration, but also mixed with trepidation. Uh, yeah. And so, yeah, it, it became a new habit of mine. And, and what's your, as this kicks off, what's your relationship with the Lord like? I mean, you're a youth group kid, you're going to youth camp, I guess, you, you've got yeah. these retreat things that students do. What, what's your relationship with the Lord like in this time? I think I started to realize that everything I was doing, it was for a checking off a box. Okay. I was... I loved, you know, back in back in the day, all those good old Christian bands back then with all their worship songs. I loved all that. I loved listening to that. I loved doing all the 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 praise hand movements in in youth group worship time, but I think I just did it because it was fun it was and I liked box. it. Yeah. And I liked the feeling that I got. Yeah. There was a little bit of a pattern of if it makes me feel this way, if it makes me feel good, um yeah. I will do more of that. And I I think I had a view of God as someone who was outside yeah. of me. Um, I knew him 
I knew what he was like, um, but I didn't love him in the yeah. way that I should. Um, and so he was there and okay. he was he was off to the side. I could go to him if I needed to, yeah. um, but I did not have a personal relationship with him that I that I should have had um, okay. at that point. All right. So, so you're, you're purging, you're eating, you got to kind of play the part for your mom and dad. So you're sitting at the dinner table, you're eating, you're, you know, you're, you're eating your Chick-fil-A or whatever, and then you're going to the bathroom purging. And this is, starts in 10th grade, 11th grade? I was probably about 14. Okay. So, so yeah. probably freshman, freshman, sophomore year of high okay. school. Yeah. Yeah. And then that, that kind of sticks with you um, through high school? Yeah. It, I probably, uh, I probably wasn't doing it a whole lot in high school. I think I, um, I was purging fairly consistently, but it was not on a daily basis. Okay. I think that it was more of, I mean, I can't give you a time frame, but it wasn't something incredibly consistent okay. uh, until I got to college. Okay, yeah. and and so for all the anxiety and fear and trying to control and manage you you get a scholarship to play ball in college. Yeah. Which is like, and not not like a like a D3 school, but if you make a D3, I mean, that's amazing, but it's like D1, legit soccer program, dreams coming true. Yeah. Right? And so you head off to college and, but you don't, you don't leave this at home, right? No. This comes with you. So yeah. now all your dreams have come true and, and yet that's not, it's not working. No, not working at all. I think that I... I started to uh, see some patterns appear more. The achievement was just increased when you are playing at that stakes level. Are yeah. yeah, stakes are higher. Uh, there is money on the line. There is actual money on the line in the form of a scholarship where you are being held to standards. Yeah. To in order to keep your money, you have to play at a certain standard. You have to have a certain grade uh, GPA. I mean, there are things that are in place that if you don't make those happen, then you, could lose you, you lose yeah. things um, and you you lose financially, but you lose in other ways as well. And so those stakes were high for me and I wanted to, I wanted to achieve them. I was, I mean, I'm the first of, I don't know how many in my family that have gone on to get a scholarship to play a sport in college. And that's a big deal. And yeah. I wanted to, I wanted to make people proud and I wanted to uh, make myself proud, but also make sure. myself look good, you yeah. know, and in the, in the vain yeah. way that we all are, you yeah. know, I wanted, I wanted it to be successful. Yeah. And, um, yeah, so I, I could feel, I could feel all of that just continuing to, to bubble up and the anxiety continuing to bubble up. And there were a lot of other factors that started to play into that as well. Okay. Yeah. Come on. I mean, I, I think the theme of college, uh, for me was, um, the theme of a lot of the anxiety uh, came in the form of men. Okay. Um, there were kind of two different lanes of, of abuse that I endured. Some of that was verbal and emotional abuse uh, from my coach. Yeah. Uh, and some was actual physical abuse from men in school. Uh, okay. there, was, there was a time at a party that I was beaten up by a guy because I didn't, um, I didn't wanna have sex with him. Okay. Uh, there was, uh, and that was a, a really traumatic moment in my life um, because it, it, showed me that I was a piece of property, that I yeah. was something to be uh, looked at and to be touched, but not to be seen in yeah. a way that was godly. Yeah. Uh, and when I refused that, the consequences were 
physical pain. Uh, And so that not only increased my anxiety, but it caused me to look at myself in a way that the world was looking at me where then, okay, if, if I'm not, um, if I'm not this way, if I don't look this way, then how can I get myself to look this way? How can I get myself to look better? How can I, how can I make this not happen? It's, it's distorted. I mean, you, 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 all the thoughts that you have are not thoughts that you should have, but it's, it's pretty, um, it's pretty incredible to see where your mind will go. Um, uh, looking back at it now, where I think all the things that I thought are so untrue. Like, yeah. no, you were the victim here. You were, in, yeah. you were in the, um, the other person was in the wrong, and yet you are thinking that you need to yeah. change or do something different. Uh, and so that was a that was a big moment, and I and I suffered through it alone too, and that was yeah. really hard. Uh, and then just with the you know the verbal and emotional side of things, there was everything was a competition. Everything was a a fitness test. Everything was a ranking. Everything felt like you had to achieve a certain level of performance and perfection in order to be a good soccer player. It yeah. wasn't It wasn't just about your skill. It was about how fast you could run. It was about how much you could bench, how much you could squat. And I will be honest, there were times when we were in the weight room and we were having to check the tone of our legs to see who needed to do a little bit more in yeah. the weight room that day. Um, and for someone who never has fully looked like an athlete, that is devastating. Yeah. Um, and, and it just proved to me that it once again, my physical self, my the outward parts of me are what are truly important for me to achieve. It wasn't yeah. about what was inside my heart. It was about what was outside of my body. Yeah. Uh, and and that was perpetuated by the people that I were looking I was looking up to yeah. uh, on staff. And yeah. so well one, I don't want to I don't want to go too fast past that. That's yeah. that's like awful, heartbreaking yeah. stuff. Um, and, and so I'm sorry as someone who knows you and loves you, it kind of provokes my, like, I, yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah. Thank you. Um, I, I wonder how much, because what you're talking about is experiencing, uh, I'm not, I'm not seen as a person, but rather as something to either be consumed or, um, enjoyed or to perform for someone else's ends, um, and kind of a loss of personhood in, yeah. in that. I, I wonder, and I think why I wanted you to be able to tell your story today is because I, I wonder how much worse it even is now when that that's broadened so much further with social media. So it's not just yeah. the, the women or men on their teams. It's not just a, a, a single coach. It's not just a but, a, but an overwhelming pressure from society, regardless of domain, to look a kind of way, to behave a kind of way, to achieve a kind of way. Even if I think about pastoral ministry, yeah. um, and I think about for young guys going into ministry, like the metrics that get put in front of them uh, of size and speed and you know fast and famous and um, and you're just like these are these are ridiculous metrics. It it's <laughs> obedience to what the Lord has for us. Like we yeah. we don't get to we don't get to decide outcomes. God out God decides outcomes. Um, so. In, in this season where in a real way between that that assault and then kind of the more a thousand paper cuts of um, playing D1 sports with a coach who isn't in tune with you as a person, but kind of sees you as a commodity that needs to perform for him. Um, how, are you, how are you starting to manage then your inner turmoil when now the achiever's in distress? 
<laughs> I didn't. Okay. <laughs> I I managed it by avoidance. I managed it by uh, numbing. Um, and so there was a lot of drinking. Okay. There was a lot of smoking. Okay. <laughs> there was a lot of what can I do to not feel this? Okay. What can I do to avoid it? Um, I didn't have a church home in college. I avoided going to church. I actually did do a, a Bible study at one point with some of the girls on my team, but it was so that I was there and they saw me there and I, I could, I didn't have to answer any questions about why I wasn't there, yeah. um, but my heart wasn't in it. Um, and so that, that was, um, that was how I handled it. And, and it's funny, I, I, I do like to avoid, uh, and a lot of things I like to say, oh, it'll be fine. I like to say, yeah. you know, we'll get through it, you know, <laughs> we'll move past it. Yeah. It's, that's for future Becca. Um, but in that moment I chose I chose tangible ways to avoid. So again, I I, I drank a lot. I I did things that I, I just shouldn't have done. Yeah. Um, and I, I allowed myself to check out um, as my anxiety escalated and then also as my body sort of just deteriorated under yeah. the pressure of it. And are you, so now the, the purging's moving from every once in a while to, to far more consistent? Oh yeah, multiple times a day. Okay. Um, and I had also um, started to um, over-exercise, which is ironic because in sports, you're exercising yeah. pretty frequently as it is. And so I started to do that and, um, and kind of just watch what I ate. You know, I wanted to ensure that, um, well, if if my coach is telling me that I need to lose 10 pounds in order to be faster, well, then I need to lose 10 pounds. And so I, I need to not eat as much as as the rest of my teammates okay. are eating. And uh, so the, all of that, it was, um, it just became kind of this, <laughs> this menu of things to choose from in order to maintain it. Okay, what were kind of the physical effects of that as you kind of, fully give yourself over both to drinking and smoking and a little bit more of a licentious lifestyle, not the one that we talked about earlier where it's yeah. like Becca doesn't need a curfew because Becca's going to bed. Yeah. But now it's not Becca need, doesn't need a curfew. Now it's Becca's going out. Yeah. It's and, 10 p.m. and I'm getting ready to go out. Yeah. <laughs> training harder than ever and eating less and whatever she does eat, she tries to purge out. So yeah. what Start to talk about some of the physical ramifications of this spiral that you find yourself in. Yeah, I was tired. I was mentally tired. I was emotionally tired. I was physically tired. Uh, and the anxiety just continued to grow. And I mean, it got to a point where I had a panic attack. I had just a full-blown, I cannot breathe. I, I cannot stop crying. I I don't know I don't know what I'm I don't know what I'm doing I don't know what's happening to my to my body right now but I can't control it uh, and I ended up in my one of my coach's offices and I feel so bad because I look back and here was this you know 23 year old woman at the time you know sitting across the the desk from someone who is just a I was just a mess and I was 20 at the time 19 20 21 yeah right 19 or 20 I just I just said, I can't, I'm having a panic attack. I don't know what to do, but I cannot continue to do what I'm doing. I dread going to practice. I dread playing in our games. I, I, I get physically sort of ill just yeah. thinking about it. I can't, I can't go on. I don't know what to do. I need you to tell me what to do. Yeah. And the response was, well, you can either 
just continue to do what you're doing, just keep playing, it'll be fine. Or why don't you take some time and just not play? Those were the two options. Yeah. And you look back and you think, where were the medical yeah, options? Help, where maybe? were the yeah. psychological options? Yeah. And there weren't any. Uh, and I think that it's it's really unfortunate. And I think there are a lot of people even now struggle with that of how to help people in those moments. Yeah. Um, and I think it was just, there was no help there. There, there was no manual on how to, to, to fix it. Um, there should have been yeah. in that moment and there wasn't. And so I chose the other option of, I'm just gonna leave. I'm not gonna play right now. I will just not go to practice. I won't play in the, the games and I will just figure it out. I okay. will, it'll be okay. Yeah. Uh, in whatever form that comes in, it'll be okay. Yeah. And so, yeah, I stopped, I stopped playing um, and I did not tell anyone that I stopped playing. I obviously my team knew, but my parents didn't know. Yeah. My friends didn't know. It just, I just stopped going. Uh, and then I realized that now I had all this free time to continue to do the things that I was doing. And so I jumped headfirst into um, just feeding my eating disorder. And so I exercised more, uh, okay. I ate less and whatever that was still left inside was, was purged. Okay. Uh, and I, you, you could see it physically on me that there was a, a sharp turn at that point from the outward looking at me. Um, and then also just inwardly, I, I just put myself into anything that was going to distract me from having to actually deal with what I was going through. And that was more drinking, that was more yeah. partying. It's just everything multiplied. Okay. Yeah. And and you already said this, but no at, at this point, no relationship with the Lord or just kind of yeah, I I would occasionally check out, you know, the the local uh, church scene, and you know, I I think I went to probably three or four different churches. Okay, you know, random Sunday, someone would invite me, or you know, I would even say, you know, let's go, let's yeah. go to let's go to church, and uh, so I would do that, uh, but nothing again. But like, no, you're not praying church home. right now. You're not going. God help no, me. No, in you're... fact, it was more of God. Why are you doing yeah. this to me? Okay. Why? am I feeling this way? Yeah. Um, I have, I'm not a journaler. I, I start yeah. one and then I stop it. And, but I have some from that time and it is heartbreaking. It is yeah. a lot of all caps underlined. I hate this. Um, why is this happening to me? Yeah. I feel alone. Um, yeah. I was, yeah, I was pretty broken. Okay. And is there a, is there a tipping point or a breaking point that, that finally exposes all that's going on to the broader circle of your life. Yeah, I I don't know. I can't pinpoint looking back when that moment was, but I do know there was a moment where I I think I thought to myself, if I continue this, I won't be here anymore. Yeah. There will be a, a moment where I can't come back from it. Yeah. Um, and so I, I, reached out to my parents and I said, I need to talk to you. And I was home and I had come home and I sat across the couch from my mom and just told her, hey, I've, I've actually been lying to you for a really long time. Uh, I actually haven't been playing soccer this past season. I, every time you've called and asked how the game went and I said, oh, we played well, I actually didn't play. Yeah. Um, and also, oh, by the way, I've been struggling with an eating disorder. Yeah. 
And you look back on that. I look back on that now, especially because I am a mom now. And I just, I can't even fathom how heartbreaking that was for her because she and I are very similar in a lot of ways and have a lot of the same struggles in some ways. And to see just this like air rush out of her uh, was painful. Um, And I knew that my disease and my sin and my choices were affecting others now. It wasn't just about me. I could hide when I was at school. I could... I could hide among, you know, my friends who weren't believers who wouldn't press into those issues, but I couldn't hide anymore. And so I, I saw that in front of me, um, and it was really heartbreaking. But it was, it was like ripping the bandaid, but ripping it really slowly okay. and really painfully at that point. Yeah. So, and then the cat was out of the bag. Yep, it was time to open up another chapter. Okay. And then you can't can't tell mom and dad something like that and them not rally to try to help you fix it. So what what yeah. happens next? You tell mom, yeah. you can see it's kind of like a punch to to mom and then what what follows that? Yeah, I think my parents did what they knew to do best and and I you joke of like okay you know you get those baby books when you're when you have a child there is no chapter in any of those books that says okay when your child uh, goes through a crisis like this That's or true. when your child decides to to leave home uh, and or when they struggle with an eating disorder there is nothing in those books to tell you how to handle no, it and so I don't I, I don't fault them for any of the things that they did um, in trying to help me move through this they they wanted me to get help and so for my parents it was we got to get her physically healthy first um, and then we got to figure out what else we, we we need to do and so there were a lot of doctors visits there okay. were psychologists there were psychiatrists there were uh, you know it was going to my general practitioner and um, and I fought against all of it I mean, the the anxiety that I felt even just sitting and talking about it, I would sit and I would, I noticed that I would pick at my fingers when I would talk about these, uh, about what I was going through. And there'd be moments when I'd look down and my fingers were bloody. I had picked them so hard during all of this because I was so anxious. I didn't want to talk about it. I didn't want to tell anyone about it. Um, but my parents just know you have to get healthy. Yeah. We have to, we have to help you. We don't know what else to do. We know all we know how to do is schedule appointments and try to talk to you, even though you won't talk to us. Yeah. Uh, and so there were a lot of tears. There was a lot of a lot of fights um, because I just it was like okay, I'm going to tell you, but no, I don't want to do anything about yeah. it. I'll, I've told you that's it. We're we're good now. Um, but in reality, obviously, you have to move through it. Yeah. Um, and did you? Did you move back home then after the confession or did you confess, <laughs> go back to Fayetteville and then there's a distance by which they're trying to manage you? I stayed in school. Yeah. Um, uh, but what's what's really frustrating and sad is that I lost my scholarship. Yeah. I stopped playing. We made the decision to officially stop playing, um, which meant that I would no longer have essentially a full ride to yeah. school. And that was just a blow to me because yeah. I could no longer achieve um, the ability to not have my parents have to pay yeah. for my school. Uh, in which it's just like kicking you when you're down. You yeah. know, you've said it, uh, you've you've tried to take steps of of healing, 
And then you go and say, okay, but now you're gonna need to pay yeah. for my school. And so that was really hard, but I stayed. Uh, and then I even got to a point in my start of my recovery where my parents uh, allowed me to study abroad. My senior year of college, I got to go for a semester and study in Italy. And it was it was a really hard time. I yeah. think they, I have no idea what they were thinking, but they, they were okay to let me go and to try it and do it. And I honestly look back at that as a really sweet moment for me. It was a really hard moment um, because it allowed me to also hide when you're yeah. thousands of miles away. But I also was able to figure out some things about myself that I just didn't know um, okay. were there. Um, and obviously just the culture and the the experiences that I got to have were just amazing. And yeah. so I don't, I don't regret any of that. Um, but I know it was a risk that they took uh, with me. And um, and so I appreciate that, but I know it was really hard for them. Uh, but now I stayed in school. And then after school, I uh, went and worked at Pine Cove for another summer, uh, the camp out in East Texas. And uh, my camp name is Grease Monkey. Grease spelled like the country. Okay. Uh, so that people call me GMO for short. Uh, and so I spent a summer out there, my last summer, and tried to go on full-time at Pine Cove. I was in the interview process um, when then I broke my back. That's right. <laughs> at Pine Cove. <laughs> and because of that, I had to move home. There we go. Yeah. And then I landed back in Flower Mound. And that was where the healing, I think, officially started. At the broken um, back. Oh, the, the broken irony. back. Yeah. Where... And I've told you this. I, I I think the Lord was like, okay, you are you're not coming back to me. You're not coming back to me. I am calling out for you. It's like, okay, we're gonna break your back. We're gonna immobilize you for a little bit, so you stop running and you sure. stop hiding. And now we're gonna start to do some work. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, I think coming home. It was when I started coming to the village. It was when I started to to actually look at. I think I need to heal the inside of my body now. Amen. I think I need to go to church and actually look at the spiritual side of this healing versus just trying to have a counselor help you talk it away. Yeah. And so yeah, it was a really pivotal moment for me. Do you have a do you have a moment or a maybe even a season cuz I like I don't I I had a season that led to a moment where Jesus stops being like this guy over here that future Becca can, you know, future Becca and him are going to be tight. Yeah. Um, where I, I know you're saying you, you, you got here and you wanted to look at like, I've got to, got to consider the spiritual side, like healing my inside. Is there a moment or um, a, a series of months or somewhere in there where Jesus moves from this kind of external character that you grew up singing about and and studying about into um, a relationship with where yeah. you're like, no, I'm I'm pushing all my chips in here on this guy. Yeah. I, I mean I think it it's coming to the TVC. It it was hearing it's okay to not be okay. Yeah. Amen. That was huge. Oh, it God. was hearing it was hearing that and then it was seeing people who who genuinely loved the Lord and genuinely loved each other um, and wanted to be around each other no matter what the circumstances were. So no matter what your junk was, no matter yeah. what issues you were going through, people kept coming back. Yeah. Uh, people kept coming back to each other. Uh, and I also think, I mean, I met Chris 
not too long after I started going to the village. And here was a guy who didn't look at me the way men had looked at me for years before Mm -hmm. that. And that was huge. It It was a moment of, okay, you are putting people in my life who want to care for me you must care for me yeah. um, because this is not happening. This is not, this is not coincidental. This is not just because I've been good and yeah. you know, I'm, I'm getting my life back together. It was, it was happening for a reason. And so um, I, I credit the community aspect yeah. of the village and the rawness of the village for allowing me to, to see God differently than I had before and to want to open myself up to him, which is funny because he yeah. knows it all, yeah. but to allow myself but to recognize a, yeah, there that. There is a difference between <laughs> him knowing everything and you opening yourself up to that. Yeah. That's that's very, very different. And so you're, you're opening up and going, okay, I'm, I see that you can be trusted with this, so I'm going to give it to you. Is I think it's a profound moment, and and if you're listening or you're on a treadmill or you're, gosh, in your car or whatever, I one of the things I love about the church for all not the village but like the church for all her imperfections and all her silliness is it's one of the few places that we can tangibly experience the love, mercy, and grace of God. Um, we we can probably do that in other places, but that's the space for me. Where if, if you're listening to Becca's story or you've tuned turned into tuned into other episodes of the Overcomers, one of the themes that you hear is that people like they they let the ugly side be seen and they're moved towards. And it's so hard for us to believe that God's like that, that I think one of the ways that God helps us learn, per Becca's testimony even in this episode, is to watch it happen with the saints so that the saints become this tangible picture of the presence and power of God. And and so if if in your own life you're, you're anxious about ever being seen or known, and again, this is a theme on this podcast, I think the risk that you take by continuing to hide from other people and trying to make yourself look better than you are is really robbing you uh, of the love and grace that God has for you. Now, I I want you to be safe. Uh, I don't want you to, I think you can trust the wrong people with your heart and it it go bad for you. So I, I want you to be careful, um, but not continually make the decision to always keep the ugliest parts of you hidden, but to find that group of people where you can let it be seen. And I think that their response to that um, is a kind of way we experience tangibly, physically, not ethereally and spiritually, which is profound, but to physically be moved towards in your ugliness, I I think it's one of the more powerful things you could ever see or experience. Uh, and so I'm so happy that yeah. you saw that because there there have been stories of the village where people have come out and it's been smashing. And so yeah. I'm glad yours isn't one of those. Yeah, absolutely. So from there, you you meet Chris. You, you've got a little community forming. Yeah. Um, are you still like going to doctors and psychiatrists and all of the counselors and all of that? Or Yeah, I was still going to counseling. I had such a bad taste in my mouth for counseling. I... I just didn't want to talk about things. Yeah. I didn't want to unpack it. I didn't want to go through uh, any wounds or any past trauma. I just, yeah. I wanted I wanted someone to just say, okay, either take this or do that. Yep. 
and it's easy. It'll take five minutes and you'll be fine. Yeah. And I didn't want to have to work through the hard yep. stuff. And honestly, I didn't for a, I didn't yeah. for a while after, okay. even though I was on a good path and with good people, I still had a lot that I had just yeah. shoved down pretty deep and said, I will handle that later. Yeah. <laughs> future, future Becca. Future Becca, bless yep. her heart. Just keep, keep pumping she's that ball lot. forward. Yeah, she's gonna have a, whenever it finally lands, however yeah. old she is, she's got work. Yeah, mm-hmm. oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, there's this there's this idea that, man, I, I would love to get as broad as possible into the Christian imagination, which is the only way through is through. Yeah. And there there is no such thing as spiritual bypass. And, but people do spiritual bypass on themselves all the time where they either do it with like Holy Spirit language, deliverance language, or they armor up with theological language. And, and, and what they're trying to do actually is not navigate through the pain that's occurred in the deeper parts of their soul, not mourn, not remember, not, and, and spiritual bypass just never works. It just means that it manifests itself in a different area. So you manage one area of behavior and then it just manifests itself in another area of behavior so that the only way through is through. So if you are yeah. watching this or listening to this right now and you find yourself just going, hey, future Becca, you know, insert your name, future Matt, insert my name, like th- they'll handle this. I, no, you're you're gonna handle it because you are future Becca. You are future <laughs> yeah. Matt. You are future fill in your name. Um, and so, like a general rule of sanctification is the only way through is through. Um, and so, how did how did you go from what you're describing as kind of avoidance? Uh, I, I'm uncomfortable when we talk about these things. I don't want to do this hard work. To was there something that started to force you to do that harder work, or did you yeah. just get tired enough? to finally do the harder work? What was the thing that kind of gone, okay, I'm on a good trajectory. I've got good people around me. It, what was it that kind of triggered the, okay, I'm going to, I hate this stuff and I'm going to, I'm going to lean into it. I think it was a lot of things. I think I was tired. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> let's be honest. It is tiring. I think um, having kids spurred that on. I mean, being married spurred that on. Sure. It wasn't about me. It was about it was about Chris and it was about what the da- the damage that I am doing to myself, it affects him. Yeah. Um, and it did. It was, I mean, one of the things that I love about you is how open you have been with Lauren about your marriage and how hard it was in yeah. the beginning. And Chris and I really felt that. We felt that there was a lot of, um, of fear and of frustration and of tension and of me just wanting to pull away from him uh, because of everything that had happened. Yeah. And I realized that if I don't, if I don't move through this, if I don't understand this, it will affect my marriage. And then when we had kids, it's going to affect my kids. Um, and there is no way that I'm going to, to put this on them. Yeah. Um, I, I, cannot do that. I, the love I have for them is so deep that I, there's no way. Um, and then also as I got older in that community, that community started to tighten and I started to find the individuals who refused to let me go and who would say, you know, Hey, what you're saying to yourself right now, what you are, 
what you are projecting, what you are, the way you're treating yourself isn't okay. Um, We know you better than that. Like you need to stop um, and you need to, you need to get help. Um, uh, Medication was a part of that healing. Um, I am a believer that it is not um, wrong to take medication. I think it's, it's a, when you have a broken leg, it's a, it's a crutch that helps you walk. That's right. Uh, And so that was a part of it. That was something that helped me um, realign myself to be able to start to work through those things. And again, counseling, but really good biblical counseling uh, became a part of it. And my friends and my community and my church. And then even just, you know, being in spaces where you're walking through the Bible um, and and learning more about who God is and not about who you are, it's God's story. And hearing how, how powerful and how wonderful and how merciful God is, it was able i was able to take my mind off of me and my problems and reorient it yeah. to okay i have a god who is bigger and mightier and who who can handle anything yeah. i throw at him uh, and so i'm going to try to start to give those those things over to him and so the biblical the teaching that we have the the community um my husband who just continues to grab me when I run He's away incredible. from him. Chris is so great. Um, yeah, I, it, all of that. Um, and then just the love of my kids who mm. unconditionally love you, you know, <laughs> even <laughs> though great? you ah. won't give them <laughs> that last piece of candy that they, you know, it's it's bedtime, okay? Yeah, yeah that kind of that kind of love. But uh, it was a lot of that was really impactful and helping me push through. Um, and I will say, going back to childhood wounds, going back to the wounds that I had felt in college um, and this core fear of, you know, identifying what my core fears were was really helpful as well. And so yeah. It, it, yeah, it's necessary. It's painful yeah. and necessary uh, yeah. to go through that. Well, I think that's the way, you know, our enemy is repeatedly called the accuser. And so he's always just looking to take some sentence or some statement, put it on a loop and and completely distort our identity with it. And I I read, gosh, it's it's been a while now about that there's literally a disease that trees get called heart rot. And what happens to them is when they're saplings or whatever, there's some kind of trauma, like a deer will like kind of try to get the velvet off their antlers with it or something will happen. And it, it's just a cut on, on the side of the bark, but it, it's not, it doesn't do anything that like destroys the tree. It just puts an opening there. Yeah. And then the tree will continue to grow and get to full size. But because of that wound, it begins to rot from the inside out. And so there's never, there's never any visible sickness in the tree until it just falls over, yeah. until it breaks off or just crumbles under its own weight. And it's literally called heart rot. And I was just like, that's ridiculous because that's what, that's what you're describing that there are these, these moments that maybe were malicious, but maybe they weren't malicious at all. Maybe it was just how we read it or heard it in our own iniquity and our own bent. And that becomes a script that if we're not careful, it's like under the surface, we don't even know we're thinking it. Uh, And then I think before we know it, we're listening to a voice that's no longer our voice, but we can't we can't differentiate. We don't know that it's not our voice. It's really the voice of our enemy that seeks to still kill, kill and destroy. I went a little Southern there, still kill and destroy. <laughs> um, and so 
Um, I mean, what you're describing is having to go back and go, this isn't true. This is where this came from and this isn't true. This isn't me. I'm not that. I'm not. And it's these agreements we make. We, We actually agree with those statements or those things that happen to us and become slaves to them. And so you, you go and you, you kind of start to deal with those old wounds that kind of led to the heart rot that, you know, kind of led to this big mess in your life. And, um, now mom of boys and husband and what's life like now, not, we're not too far removed from a lot of these things we're talking about. In fact, you're very much on this journey. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's, it is hard every day. It is hard. I think there are moments where I, I really struggle. I mean, not long ago, maybe last year, I, I had a really, really low point. Um, and I remember I talked to Chris about it. I talked to some of my, my girls and, and just said, I am, I am feeling things that I have felt back in those days yeah. like the 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 anxiety and the level of those thoughts is is at the same level that it was 15 years ago um and that that makes me scared because yeah. that hasn't happened in a long time but i'm feeling that now and so but because i have a system around me and people around me um, and because my walk with the lord is now much stronger those yeah. feelings those can be tampered and those can those can go away and I can move through them. If that was me 10 years ago, maybe not, it would have lasted longer, but I've gotten to a place now where I I can recognize it and I can say it, which is big for me because I don't like talking about my feelings (laughs) Uh, and I can move through it. Um, I will say there uh, there was a point maybe a year and a half ago where I talked to Chris and I said, you know, I, I want to know more about what's going on with my body. Why my why I don't look yeah. uh, as the normal, you know, athlete, sure. you know, figure that I am. I, I think there might be something there, actually, um, not just you know for lack of trying, but I think there might be something physically there. I have uh, pain in my legs. Um, I bruise really easily. I, there's a heaviness there. There's something going on. Um, we are now financially in a good place. You know, we, you know, health insurance, all of those things where I can take time and go to yeah. a doctor and, and figure it out. Uh, and so I went to probably four different doctors and finally got a diagnosis of lipedema, which okay. is a fatty tissue disease that is not, it does not respond to diet or exercise, okay. which means that my body produces um, tissue that causes my body to look a little distorted than the okay. normal human body. And when I got that diagnosis, I just wanted to laugh and cry at the same, same time. time. I was. I was just, I, I kind of went like, okay, God, what are you doing? Yeah. What are you doing here? Because I have been literally killing myself for decades to make myself look a, a certain way. And little did I know that there was something here that I, I was fighting. I was punching a brick wall. Yeah. Um, nothing was going to change. Um, and it was it was a really hard, <laughs> hard day to get yeah. that. Um, but then I, there was there's treatments for it and there's things that I can do. And so I, the Lord was like, oh, you know, I felt him say, okay, yeah, this is this is a part of you. This is a part of your story. Does it make you any different in my eyes? No. Yeah. Do your does your husband still love you? Yes. Do your parents still love you? Yes. Are all of these things still true? Yes. Um, 
we're gonna, this is just a part of your, your story. And so I, I now have things that I do that will help uh, treat it and help mitigate some of the symptoms. There, I, there was a surgery. I was able to have a surgery to help um, help treat some of it. Um, but it is, it's a little bit, it's again, bittersweet. It's like, yeah. okay, I now know some of the reason why and it makes me frustrated because I yeah. wish I had those answers back then. Um, but I'm also grateful um, that I know, um, and I'm also grateful that that is not going to bring me down into the depths. Um, yeah. And I am able to move past it and move through it um, because I have support and love and care. And now I know in my heart that my God loves me um, yeah. and is for me and is merciful and is gracious. And you know, you could go down that list of attribu attributes and know that they are true in my heart and in my uh, mind, not just, okay, I know it, but I'm not gonna believe it. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, it's been, uh, it's been hard. It's, yeah. uh, it's, you know, really, it's a daily struggle. It's a daily reset. It's something that I have to continue to go back to and remind myself of truths and remind myself of what, um, what I have come from and where I am going. And um, I honestly, the where I work now, <laughs> <laughs> has been amazing. It's oh, been good. an amazing support um, because I can also now lean on my my peers and my coworkers yeah. uh, for support as well, which is just unusual in yeah. this landscape um, to be able to have coworkers who who love and care for you and support you in these things um, and who who look at you as a child of God and as a sister in Christ and not as someone who has to achieve and who has to to hit a certain goal and to meet a certain metric um, we we want to to do yeah. those things we want to steward those things well but but that's not that's not the ultimate goal and so um, yeah there's just there's so many things in place I like to just think of it as all these little soft pillows around me now that when I trip and I fall, I'm landing on something that's that is um, that's calm and kind and yeah. and and caring. So we always always kind of end an episode like this. Um, in, in my imagination, and it's not really my imagination, it's actually happening right now. Um, someone is listening to this and they're, they, people listen to podcasts, you know, when they're out for a walk or when they're on a run or when they're getting dressed or um, on a treadmill or in their car or wh wherever, they're, they're somewhere like that. And uh, they've been listening to your story and it it resonates because it's their story. So it's a young woman who maybe is, you know, just starting to purge, or maybe she's in college and it's starting to spiral. Um, what would you What would you say to her or him listening to this right now? How would you, if you could speak some, if you could speak some hope, some encouragement into someone who was maybe in in that moment you remember that was one of the darkest moments? What, what would you say to to that young woman or mm. young man? Um, talk to someone. I, I I think the the longer I waited, the harder it got, and you can't hold stuff like that inside. Yeah. Um, and you would be amazed how receptive people are to yeah. you, how your problems, um, 
your your problems are not going to scare someone away. Yeah. In fact, people want connection. They want they want to enter into uh, to a connection with you. They they want to hear your story because it makes them feel like they're important enough yeah. that you're sharing your story with them. And and there's a, there's a, a gift in it for them. And yeah. so That's right. I think I would have. I mean, yeah, if I could talk to someone now or if I could tell my my college age self, it would have been to speak up sooner, sooner. Um, and to say something to someone um, because the, yeah, people are are willing and open to listen uh, yeah. more than you might think they are. Yeah. Um, and you cannot do this alone. There, yeah. there's, there's no way. Um, yeah. Community is a biblical God-given thing that we all need um, and you have to have it. It's, it's just necessary, so. Yeah. I love that. And I mean, if you're listening, yeah, if you listen to almost any of these episodes, that kind of becomes like, that's the moment. The the moment when we step out of darkness and into the light and we bring someone in to this most shameful of places in our hearts. Like I think to the episode, that's when healing starts to begin. Like when we finally say, I'm I'm not okay. And I'm actually kind of embarrassed by that. Mm. In fact, I. I feel really embarrassed about this, but I, I hadn't been able to fix this and, and I need some help. And, and so if you're listening, I like these are serious things like to, to purge and to hide and to self-hate and to um, stuff down. This is like really dangerous thing for your soul. Uh, and I, I just pray you'd be encouraged by Becca's story of coming into the light and then being able to see the goodness of God in in other people and and then begin to move towards right relationships that begin to heal and then grant her the courage really uh, to move through um, some of the the old wounds that was leading to the heart rot um, that I was talking about. So thanks for tuning in to this episode of The Overcomers. God bless you and we'll be back soon. Mm-hmm.